In today's episode, we have a great conversation with my friend Carlos Whitaker, all about when to leave something successful to chase a new dream, how to see people in our lives the way Jesus actually sees them, and also how to have conversations with the people in your life who disagree with you, all while still holding true to your convictions. All of that and more on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Wade Joy, and I'm really thrilled to have Carlos Whitaker with us today. You'll hear all about how we know each other in, in just a moment, but we've been friends for 15 years. He has been a great encouragement to me over the years. He even wrote the foreword to my upcoming book that releases this fall. But if you don't know Carlos, he's an author, he's a podcaster, he's a speaker both in churches, but now more and more in the corporate space. He's someone who loves his family. In fact, if you follow him on social media at all, which a lot of people do, he has this massive online community called the Insta Familia, which we talk about as well. But he shares a lot of his life with people and you get to see how much he loves his wife, Heather, his three kids. Our families have gotten to spend time with each other. And he's just somebody that I can't wait for you to learn from. He just released a new book called How to Human which I loved. I read the book in two days. And I am really excited for you to hear his heart behind the book because I think it's a very timely and needed message. So you can find more about the book and about Carlos in the show notes or by going to carloswhitaker.com. So I can't wait to get to that interview. But before we do that, I really just wanted to ask everyone who listens to the podcast to do two things. Number one, if you haven't subscribed, I would love for you to subscribe either on Apple or Spotify if you're listening or on YouTube if you're watching. That would mean a lot to me. And then also, I would love it if you would share this episode or even another episode that really helped you. Just share that with a friend. So right now, think of somebody that you can text, somebody that you can maybe send this to on Instagram and just share something that has brought you hope, an episode that has brought you hope through this podcast. It would mean a lot to me because I want the Lord to continue to use this as an encouragement to as many people as possible. So subscribe and share. Now it's time to get to my interview with Carlos Whitaker. All right. Well, Carlos, welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. I'm super pumped that you're here today. Way joy. The, the, first of all, I want to give props to the name Dreamers and Disciples. Like that, that is strong. Uh, that is <laughs> thank you. strong. So, uh, and also just so everyone knows, like Wade and I could have, we just finished talking for like 15 minutes and we could probably can talk for another five hours just off air about everything. And, you know, I'm excited to talk on air, but I just am so everyone knows I love this guy. Hey, the OG. The feeling and the love is mutual. I uh, I was thinking this week about when I first met you, and I think you were service programming director at Buckhead when yes. I traveled to Atlanta for something, and I'd followed your your blog and everything, and you were really kind to say hey to me and my wife then. And then you transitioned to being a full-time worship leader. Yep. And I started bringing you up to Elevation to lead yes, worship. Yes, you did. So you you are basically an honorary Elevation worship member, just I, to put that out there. It's funny because people um, people really, in this season of my life, have no idea that that was, 
that I did that, right? That they uh-huh. uh, first of all, people that people don't even know that I used to do music, which is just crazy. We can talk all about that. But secondly, like the fact that, like, no, I was, man. Like, I was like, I was in it. I loved you guys. I loved all the musicians. I stole half your musicians when I went on tour. I, you know, <laughs> yes, like, you like I, I was, I was, uh, I, I just, I just loved you and and uh, Mac and Chris and I mean, at the time, I think it was London. And, um, it was, it, man, it just was so good for my soul. Uh, I was, I was actually in a dark season in that, in that space. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like you guys were, uh, light for me. And oh, wow. so, uh, man, just, just thank you, man. I've got, I've got so many fond memories of, of that season in my life. So. Well, you always, you're always welcome in Charlotte anytime. Yes. Love it. So then, like you said, you did worship for a while. Most people or a lot of people that follow you now don't know that side of you because you transitioned to being an author and a preacher. And now you have this massive online following and you speak at corporate events. And what fascinates me about that is this podcast, we talk a lot about surrendering your dreams to the Lord. And I think a lot of people think about that in terms of, oh, something didn't work out. So I have to trust God with whatever whatever the new dream is. I've seen you go from things that have worked out and been successful. And then you started dreaming a new dream and you dream that for a while, and then you have another dream. So talk about what motivates you to kind of keep pressing on to the new thing in your life. Yes, man. Oh my gosh, dude. I I, I just, you know, first of all, let, let's work backwards. So I am, I'm 49 years old right now, which is just crazy to say, but I am. And um and don't look a day, I've, don't look a day over 39. Yeah, sweet. That's it. That's the goal. Black don't crack. That's what they say. <laughs> um and and I here I am at forty nine, and we we were just talking before we got on here that I I've I've just um, come under like a new management team and people that are kind of taking you know every facet of my career and here I am at forty nine, honestly stepping into what I feel like is going to be the most influential season of my life and my dream and and my dreams and stepping into the it's like the Lord waited till I was 47 and a half hmm. to be like, okay, now, like everything else you've done has been amazing. You've, you've been successful, but actually all of that was preparing you for this season. And, you know, I, I talked to so many dreamers that are 32 and they're just like, I just feel like I missed it. Like I, I just, I just, and I'm right. sitting here going like, wait a second. Like, like you, you have no idea. Like the Lord is constantly preparing you. Like I can't wait to be 70 and for the Lord to be like, all right, here we go. Uh-huh. Everything that I've done, everything that, I, that I've been pushing you through and you've been working through is, has now set you up for this, you know? And so he, here's the thing, like, here I am 49. When I was 47 was when the Lord kind of really expanded my influence. And I, I look back at every season before that, and it really was. It was, um, it was me just trying to find the sweetest sweet spot of calling and, you know, so, so now that we're at the end, let's go, I mean, let's go back to the beginning of dreaming. And, you know, I, I just remember, you know, I was a, a uh, I was a college student at California Baptist University. And, you know, I, I just dreamed, oh man, I've, I've never thought, even talked about this. Like, I just remember going to this cool little church. There was probably 60 people. And, um, I saw that this guy named Moises was up there playing, um, playing acoustic guitar and singing. Uh, I mean, this was back in like the the Green Butters One Day Passion record, right? Like it was yes. like like back in those days. And and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I would love to be on the worship team. Like I I just would like I I know how to play five chords, 
and I, I bet I could do this. And I remember there being a literal humongous, like I would dream at night about it. Like I was like, that is what I want to do. And then Moises, um, the worship pastor at the time was like, Hey man, like, like I heard you play guitar. Like we, we really need somebody to play. And I was like, yeah. And then like, they had me play and I played for a couple months. Uh, and then they had me sing. Sorry if this, if I'm going haywire off the no, podcast I love here, this. but like, I, okay. Th this is like, this is like memory time. And so I remember, so here we are, it's a tiny little church and, and I'm, you know, I'm, pl I'm playing acoustic care, not even singing. And then I went to Moy's like apartment one, one night and we were just kind of going around singing songs and I sang, um, Worlds Apart by Jars of Clay. Yeah, and jars of clay. I am the only one to play for And I played it and he's like, dude, that's really good. Would you mind singing that at church on Sunday? And dude, this is so crazy. I've never even said this story out loud but, and it's all making sense. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that or whatever. So I get up on stage and I start singing the song and I, I can't remember. But I remember halfway through that song, dude, this was before like worship leaders were even called worship leaders. Okay, this was, you know, I, I, this, there were still music ministers. Halfway through the song, like I stopped and I just, remember, I don't even know what happened, but I just started talking. Like I remember saying like, hey, so this next part of the song, and I, I just, I just kind of started speaking into what, what they were about to hear. And when I got done, the pastor came up to me and was like, dude, like, I, I don't know if you've, like, I want to hire you. Like, I want to hire you to like, really? to like lead worship. And I remember thinking like, what? And it was in that moment that, you know, I had dreamed about just being part of the worship team. And then Moy invited me to sing. And then I quote unquote led worship for 10 seconds in the middle of a Jars of Clay song. And then I, I, I was asked to like join the team, like part-time, like staff. And then I ended up being on staff for 10 years. At, at Sandals Church in Riverside, California. And, you know, one thing led to another. I, um, in that season, was super happy church staff guy, started a blog and uh, was, you know, kind of documenting my season as a worship leader in a kind of a growing church in Southern California. And then I got, yeah, I, I got hired at North Point Community Church in Atlanta, was there and was being, you know, I think successful in my job as far as like kind of mega church creative pastor guy, you know, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll never forget. So, okay, this is a shift in dreams, right? So I was leading worship there and Andy Stanley, this was probably two years into it. I got done leading a worship set. And I remember thinking I'm in trouble because Andy said, can you call me? And he was there, he was preaching that Sunday. And I was like, oh my God, what did I say? Cause I've gotten in trouble a couple of times at North Point. And so I was like, oh my God, here I go again. <laughs> And he goes, hey, listen, I want to let you know something. The reason why you're a good worship leader at North Point isn't because you have a good voice. There's a lot of people with better voices. And I was like, oh, thanks, Andy. Like, I remember yeah. thinking like, that's great. Appreciate that. He goes, that. but it's because when you get on stage, everybody feels like they're your best friend. And he said, and I can't teach anybody that. Nobody can teach that. So I just need you to know that's your gift. And that's your call to connect with people and so take that for what it's worth. You can stay here forever and be our service programming director, but I'm also giving you the freedom to leave and to figure that out. Wow. And dude, that was a a life, sh a dream shifting conversation for me because that was when I decided to leave North Point and um, with the blessing of Andy and, you know, signed a record deal, started leading worship, you know, started going up to Elevation, leading with you guys. Um, and th and things were, okay, so here, here's here's the other thing. That was like, I was like, you know, I was speaking at creative conferences. I was like, a lot of people, you, your team were coming to Buckhead to learn, you know, systems and strategies that I was using. And 
I, I mean, I could have done that forever, but in the middle of like what what man would would deem successful, mm-hmm. God pulled me out of it uh, into something else that ended up being successful. And and so there he, now I'm like traveling worship dude, and I'm like you know at Elevation, at Saddleback, at North Point, at Fellowship Church, and and I'm leading worship, and I'm like high energy worship dude. And then after a few years of that. You know, the Lord very clearly, I, I feel like the pinnacle of kind of my successful season there, the Lord's like, hey, yeah, like it's it's actually time for you to do something else. And so, you know, the way the crazy thing is, is like to answer your question, how a lot of people feel like we have to like be on the struggle bus when it's time to start dreaming. Mm-hmm. I would actually tell your listeners that are in the sweetest spot they've ever been that there could be no better spot to start dreaming and hearing the voice of God than when you are feeling the most alive in what you're doing. And there's there's nothing, I feel like, sometimes we use the the, the term calling incorrectly. I, I feel like like what happens is we say we're called to something. And when, when we say that, sometimes we lock ourselves into something longer than we need to be there. Yes. I, I believe that we're called to people. Mm-hmm. And 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 our our jobs and the thing that we do to help and serve people that's just a vehicle that we can get in and out of and get in different vehicles. But the call is to people, and so you know a lot of times I, I kind of have to unravel the some of that like '90s evangelical terminology of calling for people because I'm like, man, like you're actually called to people. And and right. and you could you can be a pastor, you can be a podcaster, you can be a whatever it is, but your call to to see people find freedom is still is going to remain the same. So it's just the vehicle. So I've just kind of hopped around different vehicles, and here I am now, like you know, now eighty percent of what I do is like in the corporate space, and I've got more non Christians that follow me than ever have before, and suddenly my call is still to people, but the vehicle looks different. So. I love that image of the call is the same, but the vehicle changes. And I'm a hundred percent with you, man, where like, I feel like we have misused the term calling so much in in modern church, even to the point where I don't like using the word because I think it gets confusing for people. I think I like to think now in terms of like, oh, I have an assignment here right now. But if you look at the New Testament, calling is usually used in terms of how we're supposed to live like Christ lived. Yeah. We're called to a holy life. We're called to love God, love others. And it's about our being and how that's manifested in the way that we, like you said, love someone else. Yes. And so, but I like seeing how some of those pivotal moments for you, it wasn't like you were looking to end up where you've ended up now. It was God interrupting your plans and you just being obedient to follow them. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's the whole thing of when God interrupts and God says, go, um, there was one. There was one time. There was one shift in the direction of how I'm going to serve people where I was hesitant, and it was the shift from leading worship to speaking. I just remember thinking, like, no, like, like, like I, I am really good at this. I, God, like, no, like I, and more and more people were like, Carlos, like, you should give teaching, and and I'm like, I can barely get, you know, I'm really good at teaching for two minutes in the middle of a worship <laughs> song, but I don't know if I could string thirty minutes together, and you know, and I. I hesitated for a long time. And, he, and here, here's the other thing, and I want people to hear this too. When, and I've written about this in one of my books, I think maybe Enter Wild. When I felt like the Lord clearly calling me to leave worship leading and to go into speaking and being an author, 
people need to hear this part of the story because I remember fighting it for so long and then finally enough people had told me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And going to my laptop and literally like canceling like every worship leading gig I had because I felt so strongly that the Lord had called me to stop leading worship and start speaking. And, you know, I probably had 60, 60 dates um, in my calendar and I canceled them all in one email. Wow. And, but, but I said, you know, this is me being all bravado, right? And I said, but if you need a speaker, the Lord is calling me to speak and I would love to come to your event, bro. 60 out of 60 said, man, so, so happy for you that you're following the voice of the Lord. We actually have Bob Goff or we actually have, you know, whoever it is like, like, like we, uh, we, we don't need you, but you know, thanks, thanks for, you know, sending our deposit back. And bro, it was like the bank account started going down and I, I followed the prompting and was obedient to the Lord. And dude, I ended up after two weeks going to Home Depot here. I was like leading worship at Elevation, leading worship at all these places. I went to Home Depot and Starbucks and filled out applications because it was silent. Mm -hmm. And so there was a silent season in the middle of saying yes to the Lord. So it's not always gonna sound like, you know, yes, I'm gonna say yes, Lord, and then boom, like the wellsprings of his revival are gonna just come <laughs> springing forth. Like, no, like just know that there are, there are gonna be seasons where you, you're, he's gonna ask you something, you're gonna say yes, you're gonna start to walk it, and then you're gonna you're gonna feel like okay, wait a second, did I make the wrong decision? But just stay true, stay obedient. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, the end of that story was two weeks after the silence from the Lord and the, nobody asking me to uh, to speak. I got an email from the White House. My very first gig ever was to um, sing a song and give a five minute devotional. My first speaking gig in the at <laughs> President Obama's Easter prayer breakfast. So you know, I feel like the Lord was like laughing at me because I'm like, God, I made a, I made the wrong decision. And then my first speech ever was to the president of the United States. So, you know, it just, it's just the way the Lord works, man. That's, that's not a bad first, first gig. No, it, it's all been downhill from there. I've never been more, I've never been more nervous in my entire life. So. <laughs> I can't imagine. I love that though. Cause I think you sharing that is so freeing because we can like get all churchy and think that following God is just from strength to strength or, or whatever. But a oh, lot, yeah. a lot of it is those freak out moments of, oh gosh, Lord, did I just, <laughs> did I do the wrong thing? Did I, did I hear you wrong? And I've wrestled with man. all that this last year when I left something that a lot of people would call successful at Elevation. Yeah. And I felt God calling me to dream again. And I stepped out and God's provided, God's done amazing things, but I've had many moments kneeling at this chair right behind me which is where yeah. I pray in the morning going, God, what in the world? Like, <laughs> please yeah. show up. And you were one of the first people in that season to text me and say, hey, I see you. I love you. Come to Nashville. Let's spend some time together. And our family ended up coming and spending time with you. And uh, you and Heather had us over. And we just felt yes. so loved and so seen. And it didn't take much for you to send that text, but that text meant everything to me. And oh, I think- man it gets to the heart of what you write about in your book, How to Human, which I was telling you before, every book you've written, I feel like has marked a different season of my life and has spoken to me. But this book I read in two days and I feel like it is so important for just the time that we live in. And you talk so much about what it takes, why people need to feel seen and how practically we can actually go out of our way to do that. Can you talk yeah. about the importance of that and where you learned that? Yeah, you know, um, the book I divided into three sections, Be Human, 
see humans, free humans. And that really, I spend the majority of the time in that see humans piece because mm-hmm. I do feel like it is, and and I just have to look at my own life. It, it The times that I have been marked the most is when, is when another person has seen me. And like the Andy Stanley story, right? Like he yeah. saw me. And so he saw me and he could have never said anything, but he saw something in me. And so he spoke that to me and I'd never seen that in myself. Yeah. And so I, I, it's it's so vital that we that we do that, you know. And th- I mean, and then you know, you just look at the life of Jesus, and I start looking at who Jesus saw, and who Jesus saw isn't the same people that we're looking to every single day. Yes. Right. Like so. So you you like. If Jesus had Instagram back in the day, he would have been following all. If it was like evangelical culture today, he'd have been following the Pharisees and the Sadducees with the biggest churches, with the nicest robes, with with all the things. Right. That that's what that's what it looks like. That that's who we sometimes find ourselves seeing every day because we're like, oh, I want to be like them. I want, but that's not who Jesus saw. Hmm. Je- who Jesus saw every day were the least of these. Who Jesus saw every day were the people that didn't live like him, didn't look like him, probably didn't believe like him. And the more and more I looked at Jesus, the more and more I thought, wait a second, man, we're doing this wrong. And so I began to try to see those people around me, starting with my my friends, like you and a couple other friends, that I was like, no, they, they really need to be seen, truly seen right now. Like, what does that look like? And how can that propel them into, into, a, into a healthier place? And so, yeah, the, I, in the book, I really try to teach people how to how important it is to see people that in the story arc of the book, you know, was kind of 2020, which right. is a little bit triggering for some people. I think, you know, I think a lot of people ended up, they how to human, three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. And what a cute little bumper sticker of a of a subtitle. And then you read the book and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to read this. You know, it's it's <laughs> like because because it's hard. It's hard to do this. Actually see people like we can have a podcast about it. We can have a podcast about seeing people that that maybe don't think like us and like, yeah, Carlos Wade, that's a great idea. Like I should do that. But when the rubber meets the road and it's time to do it, that's why I had to write a book because it's hard. Right. It's hard to um to see people that that may vehemently disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And that is what that 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 is what not only pop culture and media is trying to get us to do, distance ourselves and not see people that are unlike us. But to be honest with you, you know, I don't hesitate to say it anymore. I feel like a lot of a lot of the evangelical church in the last two years has been a well. Let's not see people that aren't like us. You know, let let's let's call them the enemy. Let's you know they're the enemy. Um, the people that believe this, you know, uh, what this way on this issue are the enemy. And I'm like, no, they're not. Like people are. These are human beings. There is an enemy, but they're not it. Yeah. And and so it's actually it's it's our job to see them and draw close to them. And so that's the hard part, man. That right? Like, like that that's yeah. where it gets it gets difficult. It's difficult for me every day. Still, I wrote a book called How to Human, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm failing every day. And I'm having to remind myself of Jesus's words and how he did it. Yeah, man. So it's it's just vital and it's a big part of the book, and it's a big part of what what I feel like is missing in our culture today. Truly seeing people that aren't like us. Well, I think you you know you talk about us as followers of Jesus, and what you do so remarkably in the book, I think, is you come out of the gate saying, "Okay, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but even if you don't believe that, He wins the human award." Like there's like we yeah. can all learn from Him, 
So Jesus is front and center throughout the whole book. And you're right. very vocal about your convictions and your beliefs, but you also have this welcoming spirit of like, hey, let's, no matter what you believe, let's learn from him. And it opens yeah. the door to so many important conversations. Yeah. And that's one of the things where you talk about, you can draw near to somebody without losing your convictions. Right. Can you talk about a time where, and you have a couple different stories in the book. I'm thinking about, you know, the no not warrant story or yes. the time where you had a conversation with your best friend who had stopped following you on Instagram. I don't know. Could you share one of those and yeah, what man. you learned through that? Yeah. You know, so I do, I do talk about how just because you're drawing near to somebody that you vehemently disagree with. And just because you're seeing them, culture is going to make you fearful that people are going to see you and think, oh, well, look, they're, they're, Carlos is watering down the gospel. Carlos is, you know, oh my gosh, Carlos is saying like, you don't have to believe in Jesus as a son of God in order to like, be, like see him as a human, right? Like all the, all the things. I actually use a story in the book of um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and I use that that kind of as a base of, of how we're called. Philip was called by the Holy Spirit to go to a road and to see, see who was at the road. So he goes to the road and he sees a, a, a black man who was castrated. Okay, a eunuchs are castrated. So like a, a racial deviant, sexual deviant, all the things that we're struggling with in 2023 – Philip was front and center back in the day. And then he goes up to the chariot because the Holy Spirit tells him to. Then he gets in the chariot. So that's kind of the basis, right? I'm, I'm telling all of us, go up to the chariot, get in the chariot. The get in the chariot piece is where a lot of people would, would say, well, Carlos, I don't want to get in the chariot. I don't want to. That's a Black Lives Matter chariot or that's a Blue Lives Matter chariot or that's a whatever, Trump chariot or, or Biden chariot. Like I, if I get in the chariot, Everyone's going to think I believe in the chariot. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, that's not the point. The point of the gospel, the point of being followers of Jesus, isn't what other people think. It's <laughs> yeah. what the, the person in front of us thinks that we're sharing the good news with. And so that's where we're going to have to get uncomfortable and get in the chariot with these people. And so I had a, a you know, going through 2020, I was, again, very passionate about certain issues. I was very passionate about things that were happening. You know, I was talking a lot about racial reconciliation. And one of the things that I started getting really loud about was no-knock warrants. And, you know, I did my research, I did my study, and I, in in as graceful of a way as, as I could say it, was like, we don't need these things. Like, like people are dying, right? And, and then I got a, uh, I can't remember if it was a text or a call, uh, from one of my close friends who serves no-knock warrants out in Southern California. And, oh, it was a Marco Polo. He just sent me a message saying, hey man, like I just, I, I'm reading everything you're saying on Twitter. And like, I just need to know, like, do you love me? And this was our conversation. And this was me getting in his chariot. And I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, do you love my wife? I was like, absolutely. He's like, do you love Ramy and um, Cameron or his kids? And I was like, yeah, I love him with everything. So when I leave and kiss them goodbye at 3 a.m. And I go um, get in my SWAT team car or whatever, and we go to the bad guy's house. I, I need to let you know, if I were to knock on the door, bad guy would take a 12-gauge shotgun, and he's like, this happened two nights ago, and pump bullets through the door, straight into my chest. And I was like, well, I don't want that. So suddenly, guess what, Wade? Suddenly, I wanted him to knock. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, or excuse me, I, I wanted him to not knock. Like, like I, I suddenly was like, wait a second, okay, Every other police officer but you, Matt. Like every other one, they, they need to know. You, I don't want to, but why? Because suddenly the issue wasn't an issue anymore. It was a person. And 
I had to, I had to get close enough to the issue to walk with the person. And when I walked with the person, guess what? My, my entire view on policing in America, that, that didn't shift, but some of it did. And it never would have shifted had I not gotten close and saw him and walked with him. And so I, I guess, you know, I share that story so that people that are listening can, can realize that we can, we, we can get close with people and it actually is okay to change your mind on things. You know, that, that's another thing that we've, we've gotten out of touch with is like, we feel like we can't change our minds. Once we say something, we got to stick with it the rest of our lives. I have a, a journal that's a, it, I do two things in my journal. Once a week, I try to change my mind on something. And once a week, I try to fail at something. It's my fail and change my mind journal. Oh. Because what that does is it keeps me attempting new things and having new conversations. Hmm. And again, I'm not saying changing my mind on like what I believe about super deep issues. Because I still believed a lot of things after my conversation with my police officer friend about issues with police. But it humanized it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I think we've got to get back to doing. That's the thing that Jesus did so well. That's the thing that his disciples had to do. That's the thing that Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch is he got in a chariot of a, the fancy chariot, because it was the queen of Ethiopia's chariot with a black guy that was castrated, that probably had a lot of different lifestyle, just lived a little different lifestyle than he did, but he got in the chariot. And you know what happened when he got in the chariot? He led him to the Lord. Yeah. He he wasn't able to lead him to the Lord from across the street. He wasn't able to be like, Jesus loves you. You know, like, no, he actually had to go up to the chariot, get really close to him to where he could see him. And then that wasn't even good enough. You know, like it, it's not even good enough to like just have dinner with somebody that you vehemently disagree with. What's it going to look like to get in their chariot? Oh my gosh. And that's the hardest piece. And that's the piece that people are good. You know, people struggle with, and that's the piece that Jesus modeled for us so well. Yeah. Well, it all takes risk, which you talk about in the book, that if we're ever going to truly yeah. change anything, including ourselves, it's going to cost us risking a lot. Yes. And you do talk a lot in the book about times where you've lost followers, you've lost friends yeah. because of you being bold in your beliefs, in your opinions. And some of this even like you talk about when you really came to terms with who you are as a black man yeah, and what that caused you to start doing at the beginning of 2020. And then you made that one post where you lost a third of your followers. Can you talk about yeah. what God taught you through actually taking a step where you risked and lost things? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, here, here's example number two of this podcast of me going like, yes, Lord, I'll do what you have to say. And then not only silence, but the opposite of silence, right? Like, like sucking a vacuum of followers that I've built, spent five years building on Instagram. And yeah, you know, so I, you know, here I, here I was kind of building a public platform for myself for many years in the evangelical church. I was worship leader bouncing around, you know, churches to churches, enjoying it, feeling gifted and called to do it, gaining a lot of kind of evangelical in that space, a lot of fans to my music and then my books when I started speaking, same thing, like a lot of evangelical followers. And m most of them were, you know, white 27 to 47 year old evangelicals. And and that was a space that, you know, I, I spent all of my time just talking about spiritual disciplines and how to like find freedom in your life, all the things that, you know, church people love. 
Then comes 2020. And I actually, I think it was 2019, I took a DNA test. And, and here's the thing is I ignored the black part of who I was for a long time. Like if anyone were to meet my dad, you would see my dad and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's a black dude. Uh, he's a black man from Panama. It's for me and Whitaker, like he's, he's an Afro-Latino. But when I was growing up in, in Atlanta, because we I was born in LA, moved to Atlanta, my dad was, you know, and we've had conversations about this since, but he was very opinionated when it came to Carlos. You make sure that you tell people you're Mexican, not that you're black, because my mom's Mexican. And I was like, okay. But what was funny is like, I would tell people that I'm Mexican, but when I was like on the playground with my little Gary Coleman Afro uh, and my black skin, people were, you know, I, I couldn't wear a sign around my neck that said I'm Mexican, but people were just like, oh, that's a black kid. But, you know, I kind of spent my whole life kind of trying to erase the black part of who I, who I was. Come 2019, I take a DNA test. I get my DNA results back. And it's just hilarious because like, I'm like uh, basically like an African prince. Like I'm so black. <laughs> it's not even funny. Right. So I get that back and I'm like, that was kind of the first moment for me that I'm like, wow, I've been like ignoring this big part of who I was. 2020 comes, Ahmaud Arbery kind of starts spreading like wildfire all over social media. And I just remember feeling like, I feel like I need to talk about this. But I've never, I never talked, wait, I never talked about this stuff on my social media. Like my social media at that point in 2019 was like, follow my family on our vlog adventures to you know, wherever, like look at the birds in my front yard. Like look, yeah. you know, I have webcams of birds. Like it was just like feel good stuff, bro. Like, like it, we, we were going through a pandemic, like just trying to make people smile. But I walked downstairs, felt very clearly like the Lord was like, you're, you're to speak on this. So I made a video, I think called what my white friends can do for the black community right now. And I actually don't even think I've ever said white friends, you know, or identified mm -hmm. as a black community on my Instagram. And I put it up and dude, it was the most like Mr. Rogers, like just <laughs> kind hearted. I think I had some nice music in the background. Like, hey, listen, I know you, all of you are white and this is, this is how you can help the black community, bro. I think by the time I woke up the next morning, I'd lost 4,000 followers. By lunchtime, I'd lost 8,000 followers. And by 24 hours, it was like 11,000. I can't remember what, the numbers, but... I just remember thinking, oh, I've, hmm. I've lost it all. Like I did something, Lord, that I thought you told me to do and I've lost everybody. And not only have I, have I lost them, but they were letting me know why they were leaving in my DMs. Hmm. I mean, they were, it was like the Carlos International Airport. They were letting me know that their flights were leaving over the PA system. Like it was like, wow. And so after I, after 24 hours and 11,000 followers, I went back to Instagram and I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to lose my uh, everything. So I went and I hit the delete. Like I remember thinking, I'm going to delete the video. Like this is going to like have to delete it. So I, I hovered my finger over delete and I was like, oh, don't do it. Don't be such a, you know, but I, I went ahead and I hit delete. But when I hit delete, another pop-up window popped up and it said, are you sure? <laughs> and if, I, if, if, if the Holy Spirit ever lived inside of Instagram, that was the moment that's, because- that's I was like, oh my God, did Instagram just literally ask me if I'm sure? And that was actually a feature that they've since taken away. Like they don't ask you, are you sure anymore? If you hit delete, you just hit delete. But I said, no, I'm not sure. And I left the video up. And, you know, that was a season where I just felt like, okay, Lord, this is, you've asked me to start speaking to things that a lot of my audience isn't used to, which I, I give them all the grace on that. Like they weren't used to hearing me talk about this stuff. And it was, it was shocking. Even a lot of my friends weren't used to hearing me talk about this stuff. So it wasn't comfortable for them, but bro, it wasn't comfortable for me either, mm -hmm. you know? And, but then like people started sharing the things I was talking and the 11,000 followers I left or that left me, that took me five years to build 
were back in a month. Not them, but others. Oh. And then it kept growing. And then I start I started being like, my wife was like, you're really good at talking about these difficult issues. Like, and I I never knew that because I'd never talked about them. Mm-hmm. But I was like, huh. And then hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. And the, the Lord just kept building mm-hmm. this space for me to where now I'm kind of viewed as a thought leader. And a lot of people just come to me for words that they can't seem to articulate yeah. themselves. And so I don't know what the what you would call that. You know, I, I can say I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm an Instagrammer, I'm a podcaster. But whatever that thing is, that is the thing that I feel that the Lord has, you know, we talk about the word calling. In this season, has called me to use that vehicle to touch people far yeah. from him. And so because of that, a lot of non-Christians come to me because I give them words about issues that we're dealing with as a collective whole of humanity uh, that maybe they don't have. And so in that, suddenly I'm speaking to non-Christians and they're desiring to read my books and I get to write books about with Jesus as the center, but also letting them know that I'm going to make it pal- him palpable for them to be able to just look at the humanity of him as opposed to the divinity of him. And bro, I'm just having the freaking best time, man. Well, what's so striking too is the thing that you're walking in now is exactly the thing that Andy pointed out to you however many years before. And so yes. the, the calling and the gift is the same. Once again, it's just in a different vehicle. Yes. It's, dude, I've actually never thought about that. I'm going to have to like reach out to him and let him know like, bro, you're still right. Like I'm still, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm still kind of, uh, to, to his point, people tell me all the time, Carlos, I've followed you for two years and ever since 2020, And I found myself the other day talking to a friend of mine and I said, yeah, my friend Carlos said, and I caught myself because I've never met you. I've never had a conversation with you, but I tell people you're my friends, you know? (laughs) And so I'm like, wow, like you're right. Like it is still, it's still happening. And, and it's what I, you know, it's what I hope to, to have people feel the rest of my life. Well, it's also part of, you know, what you're building and have built now with the Insta Familia, uh, which is just a beautiful community where you, I mean, I think the thing you're most known for, at least now, is how you just bless random people. Once again, you see them, and then you actually attempt to free them in some way, which you talk about in the book. Yeah. And how would you, and and I'd love for you to just speak to that a little bit in our final moments, but how would you encourage somebody to take a step towards seeing someone, loving someone, being generous with that person? Yeah. Yeah, talk about that. Generosity is, I think, the key to freeing somebody. Like, you can't free anybody unless you're generous. I mean, literally, nobody has found freedom unless somebody has been generous towards them, whether that be with their time, with their resources, with their money, with whatever. And so know, know this, like, freeing somebody, that last step is going to be the hardest part because we've got a lot of, you know, if there's one thing that that kind of people are really good at is being convicted about things, right? Like we, we've got a lot of conviction going around. Like you just open up social media, man, we are convicted. And we, we can see people, we can see people that look like us, think like us, vote like us, love like us. But the hard part is putting action behind your conviction and actually stepping out and freeing them. And so that that is where, you know, the Insta Familia, I, I lose track of the money now that we've raised on Venmo. It's, it's in the millions of dollars that people just- Which is amazing. $2 here. $4 here, 
uh, have just donated, you know, to strangers. I mean, just three weeks ago, like there were some two Walmart workers and a couple of Waffle House employees that we raised $140,000 and blessed them. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, it's just incredible. And, and so, yeah. And so th- those things, it's like, but I tell people all the time, like, it doesn't have to be $140,000. Like, trust me, get yourself a $20 gas card, find a college student, give it to them and watch the look of freedom that shows up on their face. Like, just be generous, be generous. And that when you, when we're generous, I believe that the Lord is going to be generous back to us and breathes life into our lungs that we didn't know that we needed. And which is why so many people give to these things that I do is because they feel the freedom that they get when they give to other people. And it's just, it's been so fun. Yeah, I love that. Because you, you say in the book that when you free someone else, you essentially free yourself. Yeah. And I, I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. I could go on for hours talking about what I learned from the book. I mean, we don't have time, but even I encourage people to pick up the book because even there's there's a whole section about, we talk a lot on this podcast about slowing down and healthier rhythms. And you talk about yeah. Jesus moving at God's speed, three miles an hour. And, and yes. so there's- there's so many insights in the book that I think will help people. That that and and that piece too, you know, like that piece of the book, the Godspeed piece is actually so important that a little um, Dreamers and Disciples breaking news. My next book that I'm actually currently writing right now is basically that concept. Oh. It's all about that. So I'm pretty pretty excited about that. Oh, I can't wait for that because I also would love to know how someone like you, who you live like your ministry, your life, your calling social media is a, the vehicle for that right now, or one of the main vehicles Yeah, and how you are able to stay present and grounded, but also be so connected. Yeah, There has to be a, a tension there. So I, I can't wait to learn yeah. more from you on that. There is. Ask my wife. We'll put her on the <laughs> podcast for that one. Well, man, I would love just to at least share with the listeners, how can they pray for you right now and pray for your family in this season? Oh yeah, man. I am in a you know, as a 49-year-old man in America, I am in a crazy season. It's it's that season of my kids. All three of them still live at home at the point of the recording of this podcast. You know, 2019 and 16, my father um, is struggling through dementia. So I'm starting to do the caretaking of my parents. And my career is exploding and there's things happening at breakneck speed. And so... I, it's just a lot. So like, mm-hmm. I guess if the, your listeners can be like, you know what, Lord, I pray for the allotness, <laughs> allotness. We're going to make that work. Yes. I pray for the allotness in Carlos's life to feel like a littleness, you know, like, like if, the, if that's where, if that's where the, the focus of the prayers could go, I would really appreciate okay. it. Okay. Well, we pray that the allotness feels like a littleness. I like there that. we go. I love it. Well, I will link to how people can buy the book and you know your podcast and all the different ways they can follow you. But thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for your boldness. And thank you for just living out the gospel of Jesus in so many uncomfortable spaces. And so I'm grateful for your friendship, man. It really does mean a lot. Thanks, buddy. Love you, man. Love you too. I loved that conversation. And the thing that I'm thinking of the most afterwards that's just running through my mind is, who can I get in the chariot with? And I want you to ask that same question. Who can you get in the chariot with? I love that picture. Who can you see and then get in close proximity to and just share the love of Jesus? Be near to them. Don't love them from a distance, but love them up close and personal. So I think there's an action step that all of us can take 
from this conversation today. I encourage you to get the book, How to Human. Once again, all that'll be in the show notes. Listen to his podcast, Human Hope, and be on the lookout this summer for the tour that he's doing with Annie Downs. I know you'll be blessed by it. So thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for all of you who've subscribed on YouTube or on Apple or Spotify. And once again, I really appreciate those of you who've shared this podcast with a friend. I can't wait to see you back here next week on Dreamers and Disciples. Thank you.